Okay, welcome everybody to our monthly for bringing two brothers for bring a very interesting set of brothers this uh, this month. Um, in connection with essence, a sicha um, and the curriculum accompanying that sicha. Um, and the main theme of this sicha is how we view a fellow Jew in this unique time, and that's for his essential worth, for his essence. Um, and this is a very interesting topic, especially for shluchim on the ground, because really our shluchas is predicated on this concept. Um, essentially, you know, every day, every moment of the day, this is this is this is our mode of of of, of viewing and thinking. And uh, so we have with us Rabbi Korn, a shliach uh, in Manhattan, um, together with his brother Joe Templo. Um, they are soul brothers as you'll probably get to hear, right? Um, and uh, I wanted to start off by, by asking uh, Rabbi Korn, um, tell us a little about what this means to you. Tell us a little about what this means to you that you view every Jew for his essence. I've seen you in action. I've seen you speak. And it's definitely very on the forefront of your mind. Every Jew that walks into your Chabad house, you consider a brother. You literally consider a brother because Oh, we lost you. In your heart. Okay. Well, I'm getting the gist of it. Keep going. <laughs> Come on. Tell us how you operate. Give, give us a glimpse into the into the rabbi corn. And Joe, if if uh, if if it's if it's too difficult for Rabbi, you can you can, you can help him out. First of all, Chaim <laughs> Lachaim, everybody. Lachaim. It's well, this is pre-recorded, so we're not making enough real Lachaim, but Lachaim, number one. Number two is Joe is my brother. Uh, every, every Jew is my brother, but there's a handful of, of close, close chevra that I'm blessed to have at different times. And, and, uh, and they're mamish, mamish brothers and we transcend limits. I always say, not, I don't say to many people, but I say you're like you know, a combination of my brother, my son and my father. And we, it's like the, the flow of inspiration from one to the other, Baruch Hashem. Um, but I'll just start for a second and we'll, we'll go here. Joe has so much to share and so much, so much to, to, to bring to this conversation. And together, hopefully, we'll make a little magic happen over the next uh, half an hour. But I just want to say the one advantage I have over everything is that I don't understand a non-Messianic Judaism. Because I came to, to Yiddishkeit and to Lubavitch in Tavshin and Dalad and Hey, I forget, I always forget the math. But I came right after maybe Nun Gimel. Anyway, it doesn't matter. The point is, I came right after Nunalfin base. And, and the, unit, the reason why I became from is because there was a message about the Gula and where we stand, stood as the Jewish people and the moment and the opportunity really captured me. And, and not just that, but also there was ideological messages about essence and about anybody can lead. And, and the, the, the fact that, like, a lot of the Nunbe Sichas I learned in Sichas in English before I could even learn Hebrew about like the Bikurim and a Jew being an ending of themselves and Atzmus and without even any utility, just the, 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 the isness of Atzmus that's expressed in every Jew already turned me on as part of my process of becoming from and becoming a chassid and becoming a shliach or trying to become a chassid. And so the, the, the truth is that for me, the, the only Yiddishkeit I relate to is one that's messianic and and. That, that sees us on an essence level. And the truth is that it comes with a lot of deficiencies too. I, I lack other, I lack other uh, 
other features in my in my in my Jewish uh, diet, you know. But that but that is for me where I'm most comfortable. And the truth is that I've suffered significantly because I wasn't prepared for how long this would take. Like when I signed up, and I didn't know how much patience I was gonna, was going to have to have, and I didn't know how arduous it would be. Like I thought we'd be much further along by now in full in full honesty, like just organizationally ourselves, myself. And I suffered a lot, like in myself, just frustrated, like, like that it's not moving faster, not for me, not for the organization, not for the shluchim at large. Although I think the shluchim at large are killing it. And more than ever, also in the Mashiach topic, I'm completely blown away. But, um, and also just kind of digesting the, all the Rebbe's vision with the, with the maturity and the patience and the, the bittle that I also lack of like being able to slowly go at a task like bringing the gula and being able to go day in day out. So I've suffered in a certain way for this, my affinity towards messianism, you know, and, and like true ideological messianism and like true Mashiach focused Jewish type, but it's the one I relate to the most. And especially when it comes to like seeing, and this is where I'd love to bring Joe into the conversation, although he can jump in however and whenever he wants to, but just seeing how around us in our area, in the industries that we populate that, the industries that my students and my leaders populate, my supporters, the way like the world is so incredibly ready for the ghoul and the world, the way the world's so incredibly ready to go to a new stage of godliness and of revelation and of shift and just seeing it all around us. So I have a bunch of stories. I imagine Joe has some stories. I hope Joe also just, just says his own hello and maybe gives a little context for who he is because maybe people know me more than Right, know so that's a good idea. I think, oh, yeah, I think we should. Joe, well, you're 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 um on the flyer. It says you're a mushpa of Rabbi Corn. I guess that's how you identify yourself. No, no he's not my exclusive <laughs> mushpa. I don't want to take credit for it. Okay, um, Joe, I I, I I understand how Rabbi Corn qualifies um, Messianic Judaism. It's straight on the flyer. This is one of his slogans, mottos: Jews of the future. That's how he views. The, the people in his Chabadas and, 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 and his fellow Shluchim and his family. It's how he views the Jews of this generation, um, which is um, which is like, which is incredible wording, incredible wording, you know, Jews of the future. What does Jews of the future mean to you? Tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and, uh, and do you also have this, this, this view on, on your fellow Jews, Jews of the future? Are you also a Messianic Judaism type of guy? Hi, I'm no, but yeah, let's start start off like it's oat like, milk. <laughs> okay, yeah, start, start off. Where are you from? Where are you from? Where you headed? Sure. Um, I'm my name is Joe Teflo. Um, I grew up in Teaneck, New Jersey. I lived in the East Village for I don't know, I don't know what to say. Six, seven, seven years now. More. Eight. Eight years, maybe. Um, eight, eight, um Reb Joe, uh, you're gonna have yeah. to speak up a little. Up? Okay. I lived in the Hi. East Village for. For, for eight years now. Um, and uh, I, I, I went to Yeshiva University. I wanted to be a doctor, like uh, a lot of good Jewish boys. That was my dream. Um, and my last year in undergrad, I came down to the Chabad house for, uh, for uh, my first experience in a Chabad house, honestly, even growing up modern Orthodox. Um, and you know, the, the story I told before the Kinnis was that I went to my first um, for bringing in the, in the basement here. This place, I was intimidated by this. I heard a lot about NYU Chabad. It was 300 kids upstairs, everyone fancy, came downstairs, um, went to my first for with Rabbi Korn in the conference room, which we don't use so much on Shabbos anymore, and um, and saw uh, no, 10, 15 people in a room. A girl starts 
bawling about her week, about God, about what she was going through. I actually don't even remember who this was. We should find out. And Rabbi was, you know, consoling her and talking about, you know, how God was involved in the struggle. And um, it, I remember clearly it was my first time. You know, I always took prayer seriously. I took, I felt I took my relationship with God seriously, but it was the first time I witnessed like a combination of vulnerability and spirituality in the same place. Um, and the fact that they didn't have to be um, divorced, they could be intertwined. Um, and I, you know, I grew up, I think this is the first time I saw a girl cry that was not my mom or my sister. Right. And I remember there was something special going on here that I wanted to be a part of. And I came back the next month, slept on my friend's couch downtown. I was in YU uptown, came back the next month. And eventually I was, you know, on the couch so much that my friend said, enough, you got to move down here. Simultaneously, I ended up um, starting a nonprofit that led to a for-profit company. I dropped out of undergrad. Actually, the first semester I moved down here while I was in school, I remember. And um, I fell in love with the community here, made some dear, dear friends, um, and, and honestly fell in love with you know, Chassidus and, and Chabad through this Chabad house, um, and um, made this my home. Now, I, I like to think of my apartment as an extension of, of the Chabad house here. We have once a month 150 uh, kids, uh, young professionals over for Shabbos dinner, and I try to be involved as I can here um, and help, help the various shluchim here uh, with what, everything you know, going on down here. There's like a, a made up Chabad statistic that there's more young Jews anywhere in the world. Under, Not made up, Rabbi right, Sharna said it. Okay, that's fine. Um, that there's more young Jews under 30 anywhere in the world other than Tel Aviv, south of 34th Street. And so I like to think we have a, a massive responsibility here. Um, Anyways, that's a little bit about me. I work in tech. I, I built a company, thank God. We, uh, we grew it. Um, and then three years ago, we sold the company um, to Salesforce, um, which is where I work now. But I spend most of my time um, investing in companies and, and um, doing Hatzala and, and various things downtown. Um, you might find him at Moshe Kalarski's table with Mendy on his other side, uh, running some new visionary campaign to get to fill into soldiers in Angola at any, at any given moment. <laughs> but um, we, um, but anyways, Brakshan, that, that's what's going on with me. Um, I have a question though, just like preface this. So are we saying, and again, this could come from the text that we're, we're speaking about, are we saying that this mentality of understanding the essence of seeing, viewing Jews through the lens of essence versus everything else as only messianic in nature? Like meaning, are we bringing that now or what's happening? Great question. So I think, but this goes back to my like my opening, which is like, so the truth is, this is an idea of Chassidus, right? The Jew, the nature of the Jews' essence is exposed by the Baal Shem Tov and brought up by Chabad Chassidus in depth. The, the Chiddush and the Rebbe's last sikhas is that it's almost like all that reality was always there, but hard to be seen, hard to be expressed, hard to be translated into reality. Let's say, let's let's broaden it for a second. Let's say like. Was the world always willing to help us to, to serve God? Sure, but it took a lot of digging to help reveal that. Whereas the Rebbe is saying, now the world's ready to reveal it with just a push. So every Jew was always an essential expression of, Tanya says, it's a piece of Hashem. But now we're ready to relate to the Jews primarily on that level. And that's missing. And that's missing. So the, we're talking about a shift of tr no new truths, but truths that are now more accessible, they, it's almost like reality. A lot of the Rebbe's last few talks are talking about how the service is changing because the world's changed because the, the process of purifying the world has been completed. So we're like watching inner truths come to be like outer truths as well. Did I answer your question? Yeah, um, I mean, no, so, so operating on that level today is ushering in 
yes. that thought that thought process. Yeah, well, it's that, that seeing the world, seeing the world differently helps us digest the new reality that's actually here. Correct. It's actually a, the Rebbe talks in the end. You're saying that we're like we're here, but it's a process of us like beginning to live with it. So like we're like we're in a different world than we were ever in. But if we keep living that way, we'll, we won't be able to. I mean, Hashem will help eventually. But we won't be able to to shift if we don't change our behavior. Someone once told me if Tzvi uh, Hamnik, I think he spoke for one of these projects uh, many twenty years ago. He said, "If you kick a train towards, it's still going to kick you back." So it's like, if you still relate to the world, like, oh, the world's going to give me such a hard time. Okay, it's going to give you a hard time. If you walk in and say, this place, the world is going to open up for me in, in serving God, and you're going to see that now. Even maybe 100 years ago, yeah. that positivity wouldn't have resulted in the same. Yeah. It's part of this. Yeah. Shlomo, Rabbi yeah. Korn, by the way, you just said something in passing, which I just want to clarify for the audience. So basically, there's, there's two things going on over here. Seeing a Jew for their essence brings Mashiach. It's one of the things that brings Mashiach, but also because we're so close to Mashiach, we are empowered to see the Jew for their essence. Mm. Right? Get the second point. And not just the first thing we just said, but but because of the time we're living, we're living in, we're also being given new abilities to live in that era. No, that I that I hear. I mean, it's also part of what's the there's this like analogy that um, you know, when 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 things flip, right? When we do enter this this era of like topsy-turvy, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, turning over all of our previous assumptions. There's an idea, you know, there is an idea that like the pyramid like flips, right? Like, like the world flips upside down. But if we're living, if we're, if we're preemptively living an upside down life, then when the world is, is, is going through this, this, the turmoil of, of flipping its, you know, its narrative, we already are living in a line. If we're already living in a line life, then it's gonna be less of a transition for us, less of a painful transition for Amazing. us. Is that part of it? Yeah, it's cool. Okay. Like, 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 if if we're already living with, if we're upside down. Then when the world flips, we're right side up. Yeah. So I think they're ever saying the world has the world's already flipped, and as long as we don't get, as long as we don't flip with it, we're actually living in unnecessary peril. Okay. Fair. Um, you want to start? No, no, that 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 resonates. Wait. So before I get to stories, I just then I had a question for both of you. I think both of you can answer this. I like your question. Um, Show me how your tone is a. You're doing it. First of all, I just want to say that everybody in the Bowery doesn't wear matching um, black, uh, blue and black hoodies. <laughs> well, my question is like this: We had a we had a segment called New Age. This is a couple months ago, and that that was a pretty simple, straightforward message that said them all over the world were were, were cocking in and uh, and and discussing and that is it was based off a sikh of vayeshev tashinvez that uh, that we're in a new age and our relationship with that new age differs and uh, has become more goladic than in previous ages and simply it's a simple message that whereas in previous generations we um we 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 did not it was not imperative to fully embrace the culture of the countries we're in. Now, there's actually a value of embracing, let's say, American culture and using it for Kedusha. Why? Because we're so close to Kula. So we have to get, we have to use every single thing of this world out for Kedusha. So the message was, you know, use out your local culture. And the Rebbe actually said, there's a reason why we're dispersed amongst the nations. It's not only a negative thing, it's actually a very positive thing because we have all these cultures now under our belt that we can we can transform to Kedusha. Fine. So that was a very straightforward message of, of, of how that connects to Kula. I want to know why seeing a Jew for his essence is Dafka Geula thing. Why is a Dafka Geula thing? 
You want to say? This is what I was asking, but I love it. I love the way it's phrased. So you can start. I think that that the to me the my understanding is that the gula is time that the and we're just saying this the embedded truths in reality are finally primary. Part of the gullus of the tzimtzum is that primary truths aren't aren't primary. Like, like essential truths aren't bizgalus, right? What do we say? Call etzim building the skala. Anything essential can't be revealed. So it's like in the world of revelation, the the essential things are 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 almost like the hidden things. So the the, the more we are like it's almost like gullus is is in, on one hand it's a big farce, it's a big show, it's a it's it's a big facade. It's 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 not. We don't say that like existence is false because we say gracious Lakim, but just still Gullus is itself really a big production and um and the the like coming to ghoul is coming out of the falsehood of produ- the production coming out of the fakeness of the show so the, uh, seeing a jew from the essence is actually recognizing the truth of what really is the reality is i was we had a friday night we had um we had a, a smaller crowd here for president's day weekend and one of my gabbis, who was new to the crowd and also new to Chassidus, uh, the, the, the guy who was davening said, should we still daven like a Lebedic davening and sing and whatever? I said, of course, there was 30 people there. <laughs> and so, and, but they were just randoms and they weren't the regular crowd that comes. And so, so I said to the cousin, still dance. And then my gabbai, he shouldn't be named because it's kind of like Lush and Har, but God bless him. Not that he shouldn't be named. Not cursing you, know, I'm just saying we don't want to say his name because he's a sweetheart. But but uh, but uh, but but he said, and so he went up to the chazan and said, Yeah, just rush. So I, I said to the chazan, the chazan starts rushing. I'm like, what's going on? So I he said, the gabbai told me to, to hurry. So I called the gabbai over. I said, what's going on? He said, nobody's here. I said, nobody's, nobody's here. I said, nobody's here. I said, do you mean no one that knows how to sing is here? Or no one that cares if we sing is here? He said, the second one. I said, and I lost it. I was like, there's 30 pieces of God. God's essence in our room. We're not going to sing and celebrate with them, let alone that it's Adar, whatever. But the point is that it's, the reality is that we are, we, that we are coming out of a falsehood. The falsehood is, who you are is based on performance. And this is a gullus of America, this is American gullus. Probably the biggest gullus I see with people that open up to me is how affected we all are by like performance anxiety and like Instagram and who am I and am I killing it? Am I achieving? I have that myself as a young American trying to get my ego out of my head, trying to be a rock star for the wrong reasons. Yeah, so what's that? Great. But in, in Yiddish, we also have that. We also have a sense of performance. And where are you holding? And are you, is Hashem proud of you or upset with you? Is it meaning, not upset with you, but are you, are you in a good place spiritually, not a good place? Are you accomplished spiritually? Are you, uh, is this Jew, or is he a Talmud Chacham? Is he on this level or that level? And so that kind of performance-based value is, has a role in Yiddishkeit, but it's really a, a relatively Gullus-based role. And in the essence of the Gula that we're now waking up to, it, there's a Hashivah, there's a qualification of all of us. I, I want, but I wanted to make sure I answered your question, but more importantly, I want to make sure that I gave a platform for Joe to, to talk about it. Yeah, no, I no, see. you definitely answered the question, uh, Joe. No, you answered the question. I think everyone's gonna have a little bit of a different uh, take on it. If I can paraphrase it slightly, right? It's that it's that the, the messianic era is um, is one of of unblocked, unfiltered truth, 
and we're living in a clouded age and any practice and any lens that we can put on the world that is, is, is clearing up the fog to see the real truth is upending that falsehood is messianic in nature. We're like, we're bringing the truth now. We're coming home, we're coming home to so, reality. So funny, so it's such a refreshing like lens and it, when, it, when you hear it to me, and, and I know this is not like, a, this is not a rational filter, but when you hear something that resonates super deeply and it's just like, it's like a sign of truth, right? Like, like that, like I had a, a this is so Chabad, but like I had a situation where I, there was a, a Jew that's very, very, very successful. And we were at a conference and before he went on stage, I asked if he'd put on film yet. And he's like, I haven't put on film since God knows what. Sorry, so we're doing it with me and my friend, both at the conference in, 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 uh, in Detroit, puts film on him, this is three years ago. And I always say that, you know, to those who have told me that, you know, putting tefillin on, on a Jew isn't necessarily the first thing they would do with someone that is less engaged. You know, for me, I've always felt like if this is a person is, you know, is, is doing a mitzvah and, and it connects to a deeper part of them, that won't be the last time. And it's proven true for me. And so, you know, of course, the, uh, two months ago, this, this Jew reaches back out. God knows what he was going through at the time. He said, Joe, can you FaceTime me and show me how to put on tefillin again? And so I actually asked the rabbi if I could do tefillin at night to show a Jew in LA how to do it so I didn't have to wait a day. And he said, of course, you just don't say bracha. So I'm FaceTiming this like Jew in, in Los Angeles and his, you know, Beverly Hills. And, and I'm putting on tefillin at night in, in Soho. <laughs> and he's putting on tefillin in the day. It was really special. But it occurred to me that the tefillin he's wearing is probably, I don't know where he got it. And it's probably not, I asked him, it looked like it was cardboard or something. And so I said, I said, where did you get this tefillin? He's like, it's my grandfather's from Iran. Like, three generations ago said you know i get my tefillin checked every so often could i we arrange something he's like you know what why don't we get a new pair of tefillin i was like that's a beautiful idea so i i um i call up you know the sofa and the sofa says do you want sephardi or ashkenaz i said it's a really good question i don't know so i called my you know in one of my mashpias and, and he says he says joe it doesn't matter if it's sephardi or ashkenaz it matters whether the sofa is a god-fearing person whether you know the sofa and it's so funny because I remembered that, that was the exact same answer he gave to me a year and a half ago when my children were stolen and I needed a new pair. And what it ultimately resulted in was me needing to find a sofa that I knew, which of course is way more costly. And, and it was, and here I am thinking that, oh, this is a Jew who's putting on tefillin for the first time. Let's just get him a, you know, a nice pair, go to the sofa, get a random Sephardi Ashkenaz pair. But, but the answer given is the same as given to me. And of course, I'm operating on it's his first time, you know, let's see if he likes it before he invests in a, you know, a real pair. But the, the lens that, that my Mishpia was, was looking at was, was he has the same answer that you got. This is a yid is a yid is a yid. And it was so refreshing because yeah. I was like, wow, he's right. This person can afford a nice pair. Why? Because this is second time putting on. Should he have any different relationship with this, with this item than I did? There's countless examples of this, right? Like, you know, um, that's, that's, the, that's the lens we're operating with. Wow, wow. Both those stories, by the way, sir, I, I just want to say, this is for bringing, so it's not just like story time. I'll, I'll explain. One of the big challenges we have is taking something you learn and then seeing that play out. As you're walking through the street, walking through your Chabad house, doing your business, it's, it, there's a very, very big divide. So as Chassidim, we have this for bringing, which serves as the bridge. <laughs> when you say a story like that, side of the story of the Friday night, side of the story of the phone, that really brings it home. It really brings it home. I, there's, there's two questions that people had that I have out here in, 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 in that I'm just going to fish out. I'm going to put 
to both of you. I want to hear more of these stories because it's very inspiring and empowering and people start thinking along those terms. When you say an actual story that happened, like with all those details, you start thinking of your own life story and say, hey, I can see how this plays out by myself as well. So for example, a person says, you know, you have a person at Chabadas that's extremely annoying. He had this, uh, he gets this, uh, this name called, you know, the magnet, right? It's kind of this like, it's kind of like this, uh, the name of like a person who like very tactless is always hanging around, you know, it's very annoying, but he's a yid. And it's very, very hard for me to see. <laughs> he's just very annoying. So how do I deal with that? And then so um, one of you brought up the Instagram uh, life that we're living in. And that is a very big hard spot for people where everything posted on social media, which you know, the average American is, is, uh, is spending, you know, six to eight hours on. So that's what they're seeing practically all day. Um, and, and, uh, and all they see is smiling people and perfect, perfect lives and what's really happening behind the scenes. And it makes you feel very, very worthless, etc. I'm just putting out these two things. Cause I feel like the essence message could, could, could answer both just like it answered that this is just a phenomenal um, idea that whatever you need for yourself, you need for the fellow, no matter where he's holding, because you're both the same essence. You both are holding in essence the same at the same spot. We need more of these stories. We need more of these stories to to help us, you know, to 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 to, to cross the bridge, cross the bridge from just an idea to uh, to everyday life. Please, Rabbi Cor and Joe, let's go. Two things. First of all, Joe has. I just want to say a lot of Joe's incredible stories. He's not comfortable sharing like the names of the people because they're no, it, he goes places that none of us could go. And, and it's incredible. Like, it, like literally I, when I hear the names of the people that he's, that he's having this story, it, it's like blows my mind that, that Hashem brings into such a, 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 a position in the world where, and there people want to run to film that. But I think that also speaks to your second point, which is as far as Instagram and all this, like anybody that is, around a little bit realizes how false um the facade is like anybody who lives in any like in a certain way we're, we're blessed to see here in such a successful area how depressed successful people are and how and how how lonely or sad people that look like they're killing it really are and our society is seeing it a lot um but i think it's um i think it's important to realize that in a certain way, our world is moving towards essence. Like it's becoming less and less, it, the, the, the facade of looking like you have it all figured out is slowly becoming less and less trustworthy as our society is exposing things more and more, even in like very extreme ways that you see like people can't do one wrong thing in the workplace without being exposed. There's a certain degree of exposure that's occurring, which is like, excuse me, for better or for worse, exposing human, the human condition and human imperfection and human fragility. And like in a certain way, the more honest and vulnerable you are is actually more, it's cooler today. <laughs> so I think that number one is that when it comes to like, when it comes to realizing that we're all, we're all fools and we're all broken and we're all imperfect is also, it's also a way for us to realize that we're all also essence. We're all also eloquous. So I think that, 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 that as far as not being allured by the world's like how cool everybody is that's that's one piece and i think that, that joe sees that a lot by and shocks me with it by people that maybe wouldn't be so close to a but are close to uh to joe who's might as well so be you're him. like uh you're the undercover he's undercover although he's the undercover 
He's not gonna be, he's growing. Every day he wants to let his beard grow. He's like, don't, are you pleased? Can I let it grow? <laughs> He sits there and just says, no, it's going to sink him. Oh, he's But, okay, don't worry. This, this, is, this is why I resolve myself. He has other mishpim who now can take responsibility for this because I don't want to get involved in my relationship with him as a donor. <laughs> Anyways, no, but Kitzer is that, so that's, that's, that's where Joe is able to, to, and a lot of his stories share that. So if you want to share any more nameless stories, you're welcome to. But the question that maybe also, I feel like you're better to talk to than I am, it's just like the, the piece about like the, the annoying Jew, because yeah. I because what I, I, Joe Joe is about obviously like spends nights in hospitals with random people sleeping on the floor so they don't feel alone and I do not not, not I I my, my I would not give that accolade to myself so maybe you can speak a little bit about obviously better much better than I can. Um, well, so first things first to your to your former report about people seeking um, essence at this point I completely agree I think. We've we you know we've never lived in an age where like wild success beyond anything that was possible um, in previous years at a speed with which was never possible was achievable and within grasp of people um, and scale is that that's achievable now is is beyond what we ever imagined um, and I always say I've you know what I've learned in my short career but what I what I've definitely seen is that when you reach a certain level of success you either develop one of two beliefs I run the world. Or I definitely don't, or I, or a deep realization that I don't run the world, mm. and I've seen both. You know, unfortunately, you do see both, and there's an arrogance that can come with it. Um, but increasingly, what I've seen from the most successful people that I've grown to admire is a deep realization that I don't run the show, mm. and with that comes a a a, a much more messianic, essence-oriented mindset. Mm. Um, and there's a a real thirst for anything truth-based. Um, and anything that resonates in the way that we're speaking about. And, um, and this lens of viewing people with essence is, comes with that. Um, I'm just like blown away time and time again, but you know, Rabbi Korn saying nameless, but just by, by, by the interactions I've had with people that I viewed as such like moguls who, you know, uh, rewinding a little bit, I think it also speaks to um, uh, one of the, the tools, and I, I mentioned it earlier, that has helped me develop this essence mindset other than pure chassidists are saying like, oh, this Jew needs filling, he needs the same pair as you, no matter how many times he's put on, is um, this Hetzalah, why? Because literally the way it works is, first of all, it's unscalable, right? And so I live, I work in technology, I, I built a tech company, I'm investing in technology companies. So scale is the lens with which we look at the world. Like mm -hmm. if it's not scalable, it's not interesting because that's mm -hmm. how you generate an outsized return is through scale. Mm -hmm. So everyone is, is using this lens of scale, but ultimately humans are not scalable. We're not machines. Machines are scalable, humans are not. And so oftentimes you see people running, running, running to scale, but the most pleasurable, fulfilling part of their day is giving their kid a bath. And I speak to founders about this all the time. I'm like, where do you generate the most fulfillment? And really when you get down to it, it's the least scalable moments of their day. Mm. And you know, for me, Hatsala, by definition, if I'm treating two patients at the same time, I'm not doing my job. That is like poor patient care. You have to be one-on-one, -on -one. that's how it works. And so it has been a slap in the face to me of like, and the reason why it's so viscerally fulfilling to me is because it is the opposite of the lens with which I'm having in my entire day. And it's also forcing me to operate not on the, you know, we're not, unfortunately, I live in a world where we have to operate on, you know, achievements on, on, on you know, what is the status of this person? What are, what are they capable of doing, you know, for this business? What are they capable of, you know, of bringing to the table? And we operate in this realm of status and and and, and titles and achievements. And then and it's all 
you think there's a question on there like what's your you know what where do you work you know <laughs> when, when we're assessing a patient no of course not right we have to operate on this level of of essence um and real essence we're talking like bodily essence right like like how are you doing right now like what's going on um and and it's whether what, no matter what time it is in the middle of the night and for me it's been a real um level setting of like I feel more aligned with myself oftentimes when I am on the ambulance and like the essence of a person and looking eye to eye to them than I do on a Zoom when I'm meeting with the founder. And so what I've begun to do with some of the founders that I'm betting to, you know, it's invest in is saying like, what are you doing on the scalable front? And what are you doing personally on the unscalable front? How are you making sure to, to incorporate unscalable things into your life? And maybe that's your kids. Maybe that's, you know, a founder of this company that I invested in. This company we invested uh, a year ago at 20 times the valuation. It's a $2 billion company now. He calls me up, Joe, please, can you set me up? I want to figure out how can I teach, you know, ideally Jewish kids to uh, tutor them and to get into business. Because I grew up with nothing. My mother was a piano teacher and, and, I, and, I, and, I, and my father was a this. And I really want to help other kids get to where I got. And so that's by definition unscalable. He wants to teach one-on-one -on -one a few kids how to, how to achieve the success. And so you see this thirst for this essence unscalable um up you know lens um it's amazing it's really cool wow joe i, I those, those isis are really really amazing i don't want to throw it on rabbit corn rabbit corn do you view yourself as being essentially a spiritual tele member right usually yeah. so you're like this is you're do you do you, do you think about this as well I, I'm, I'm sure you do i'm saying is it in the consciousness that that, that you're doing unscalable souls and and just yeah by the way I, by the way i think i made a mistake in, a, in the process of my shlichas, in the, I tried to scale out the organization, obviously with like hiring more and more shlichim, like a model I had, but in a certain way, I feel like I, I had to stop in my tracks and pull back and, and then like be more slow about how we grow to make sure that the unscalable is present in the scaling. Hmm. And like, I even, even I had, I wasn't talking about like building like an organization, I was talking about building an organization that's impacting, let's say, five times as many people as I am now with five times as many shluchim, but still, it's, it's, it can't be done. Somehow the Rebbe did it, somehow the Rebbe built so much and so big, but it, 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 it had panemius at every stage. Every stage was authenticity. And like, that's something that like, it's just, we have to remember as we, and I just want to say this as we're slowly coming towards the end, is that I think one of the things that confused me about the Gula is, like I said, how long it's taking. And I know in the scope of, of the generation, it's not taking so long, but just the process, whenever I go to the oil, like many, many times I come out of the oil and I look at the video screen, just like a little, little extra inspiration. And I, and it's, I've seen more than two times uh, talking about the idea of a garden takes time. And the Rebbe says, if you want to, if you want to just like, uh, plant weeds, it could, it could come like 26 days, yeah. but you want to plant a, a, a date tree, it takes 70 years. Rebbe said you could be making a garden, it could take a lifetime of just making something beautiful. So the Rebbe has like, such a, like impetuousness about the ghoul, but also patience, which is crazy. Um, and so I think that one of the things that's important is as we're getting ready for the new reality, you're saying being upside down, is also to, to realize that we have to find the right formula for it. Yeah. Like you have to find the right formula of being like crazy enough, but balanced enough and being transcending the norm, but in the norm, it's like the Rebbe, this is the Rebbe's the impossible man. He's able to do all this. Yeah. And so it's like, for us, for me, I was like trying to be huge, but I think also there was flaws in how big I was, I was imagining it. I need to step back and make sure it's all actually the Rebbe's way. So I just think it's a, it's a dance 
to make sure that that we are thinking big, but also thinking small. That's the and it's there's a famous mice that I'll tell poor poorly, but the Rebbe, the Rebbe was some some someone. I was giving the Rebbe a bracha, I think it was maybe an, uh, an older woman or someone who like would say a bracha by the Rebbe's door over and I'm sure, I'm, it's someone's like grandma on the on the Zoom here that I'm, I'm telling this story, I'm butchering it. But someone would say, on oh, no, a bracha for Claudia, so she'd say a blessing for all Jewish people. And they were like, even though usually they were just like, let the, like just let this bracha kind of go while he's in his office. They were like, peeked out and said, oh, and also the specific Jew, like easy with the Claudia, so Claudia, so Claudia, so the big, the, the Jewish nation. The individual Jew. I'm sorry for everybody who's related to the person whose story I butchered as a as a confused Balchuba, but the point is real, is that like that, that ability to be with the Jew on an individual, unscalable level and also see Jewish futurehood and 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 global transformation is yeah. I but know. you both you both realize something before you continue. You both realize something. I don't know if you meant this, but in response to the question of how to view a person in essence, you just came up with a tool. And both have responded to the same tool, that the way to view another Jew in essence is to position yourself differently. You both said that. So like if I put in your own words, Joe, you said basically if you're a hot solo member, if you view yourself as a hot solo member and not a CEO, then you're going to view another Jew as a, uh, as a, in essence, I, I don't know what it means to position yourself as a solo member um, um, across the board. I, I think that being a shliach, kind of puts you in that position, forces you to be in that position. But but let's go back to this. The Shliach tells me <laughs> the guy's push and annoying. And he's annoying. He's annoying. He annoys me. Um what do you do with annoying Jews? I, I want uh, this is this is partly addressing that and I, I have I have an answer for this, but I think one thing that we're also missing here is that we're talking about operating by doing essence um with the lens of essence on our own. But I think we're we'd be remiss to not mention how powerful it is when that is projected outwards in that I think people feel this lens when you have it on them very powerfully, right? Like I always say about our, our shlichus, like it's important to me for my dinners to be in a home. We've had offers for it to be in spaces or whatever. Why? Partially for me, it's because when someone, when a Jew walks into my Shabbos dinner and I maybe haven't gotten a chance yet to meet them because there's a hundred people there, whatever, they're in someone's home and they're like, what did I do to deserve to be here? Like, what did I do? This is, they're not, they didn't pay anything. There's, there's food, there's, there's drinks, there's this. What did I do to deserve to be here? And the answer is, you did nothing. You just exist as a Jew and you're in, in my home, right? And, and there's a feeling in that exchange, I feel, that's very powerful. You know, I just came from BBYO, the, the youth organization, the story of the Rebbe with Tillin by their, the uh, Shlich was invited to speak and they put on 200 Tillin. And so I, I came back from this weekend. And I was there and I said, uh, they invited me to speak. And I said, I'm only coming to speak if I can bring a Chabad couple with a table and some tefillin. And so we brought tefillin. We had a Chabad couple there in Baltimore. And we were push chasing <laughs> these kids in various locations. They're 15, 16, 17, 18 years old, you know, to, to wrap tefillin, many of them for the first time. I think we did maybe 250 um, tefillins there, many bar mitzvahs. And, um, and when you see in their eyes, when, when you get a moment to just stop for a second, I remember I was thinking the whole time, like, I have a, a one of my mishpias is, is a is a moel and he does a few bris in every day and I was like how do you stop and recognize that every single time you're doing this bris when you're doing three a day you're changing you could be you know a, a, it could be a ritual that is changing the trajectory of this person's life so I lost out of that a little bit but at moments you look at these kids eyes literally they're children I was like he's like what they're like what did I do that you're 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 so excited about this opportunity to 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 do this with me. And the answer is they did nothing. 
And, and they can feel that when you really project that lens. And so my, in my answer to, you did nothing except be, be a, a holy, you know, a holy, just like I am, right? And, and, and they're looking and they're like, wait, aren't you a speaker? Why are you like, you know, why aren't you now like, <laughs> like chasing all the kids in line to, to, at breakfast? We went into the breakfast to interrupt their breakfast to do this. And so in the answer to the annoying Jew, I think the annoying Jew, you know, clinging to your Chabad house, your Shlichus, whatever, is just a barometer, right? Of like, are you, the annoying Jew is probably the one that is easiest to feel that, that welcomeness and that essence lens. So, so you're doing a good job, right? But what I would say is that like, the more annoying Jews you have clinging to you, the more the, it's a better indicator. But really, you're going to know you're doing a good job in essence when the coolest Jews are, are clinging to you in the same way the annoying ones are, because that's when you, you've known. The annoying Jew is the one that takes the least to feel welcome in that essence lens, right? And that, that it takes the least to, to warm them up to come to your, to your place, right? So, okay, great. You're Shakoach. You have an annoying Jew in your Chabad house, like Mazel right? But like when you have all the cool Jews that are like not leaving until, you know, Friday to dinner when you want them to, that's when you know you're really having this essence uh, lens hat on properly. I don't know. You know, you're, you're saying you're saying when, when, when you're saying a, a difficult a Jew is being annoying can activate in you what you should be feeling about everybody. Correct. Yeah. Right. So meaning that your his answer is not that it's easy to love an annoying no, Jew. No, no, no. Obviously, and obviously that's a, that's a, it's, it's we have to it's, it's like dealing with a kid who's being difficult or whatever it is. It's it's no one in the gula. How does that not take a shtadlus? I don't know. <laughs> that that one I haven't figured out yet. But 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 for sure. To, to make sure that we're not missing out on that same degree of essence work with the, with the fancy Jew, that's Kishma. Right, that's it. And that's, oh, by the way, it's also a huge fundraising trick because when you actually make sure that you realize that just because you're sitting in front of an influential person or a, a wealthy person that has the ability of, uh, to, to, to give a lot or make a big difference and you see them just like any other Jew and you really do and they know you see them that way like the rabbit clearly did in all the videos, et cetera, then that's-, that's... And that, that is, by the way, it's such a sensitive topic and I think you can speak to it way more than I can, but as a, as a giver, like, I think that's where the, where the thing can crumble, which is, which is you have, as a shleach, you have a prerogative to run your operation and it's a business and, and people that operate in, uh, that are successful and are achieving, they know that people want things from them yep. and, and they have a constant radar of what does this person want from me? And what are they, you know, what are they, what are they going to get from me? And viewing someone for their essence is essentially removing that, yep. but you do need to run your Chabad house. And so walking that tightrope, you know, I know one person that has achieved, built incredible relationships with holy, very, very successful people, precisely because they've never asked for anything from those people. Why? Because they're not running Chabad house right. and they don't have needs. Right. And so they're able to have a completely essence relationship with these Jews. And it's so precious and so holy and so unique. And, you know, for better or for worse, the Rebbe's model was, no, we have Chabad houses that have budgets and they need to pay. And so how can you bring that level? I can tell you the relationships this person has built are so pure because of it, but he's blessed with the ability to not need to transition, to traverse this delicate place because whatever his, he doesn't have that shlichus. Yeah. So for, for real, I don't know, I put that question no, to you. I think how do you I do have it? a strong answer on behalf of all my here that, that, that houses. the truth is that, that, that it's it's not that he's blessed, God bless him, but, but that we're blessed to have the opportunity to help those Jews funnel their resources into even more things on the ground. But we have the challenge associated with that of, of how to do it. And what I would say personally is that I think that that in in, in line with being essential, I don't know how this people are fundraising for bringing, but why not? It, it, it's, it's, it's a very, very, very important topic and on the essence topic is I think the best thing is just be totally honest. Be like, listen, we both know you're very successful. I'm an I, I ambitious rabbi. I want to achieve a lot. 
let's first connect in a real level. Your success means nothing to me. No, no <laughs> see, like, like I'm gonna. I, you see me love people that don't have resources. Yeah. I'm going to love you whether or not you give me your resources. Yeah. I, I, I will be honest with you. I, only, at some point, I'm going to ask you to support our resources. And it's going to hurt me if you don't, because I, I believe it's good for you and good for me in this. But I, I want to separate that and first have a relationship that transcends that. And also be honest about that yeah. elephant in the room. So I think honesty is very powerful in that way. But I think that, that, that it, and I, and I do think that the reason why the Rebus model is this way is because there's no greater gift we could give a Jew who has resources than to challenge them and get uncomfortable with them and push them and say, you You've been blessed with resources. I want to. I want you to give so many of them. It makes you almost sick. And by the way, that the answer is what you just said, which is it's not for you. I don't. You know, you can go. You know, whatever. It's about the people that don't have these. That, yes. This we're here for the essence of everyone. Yes. And so are we need. Are you in? Are you out? Like this train yes. is moving. Yes. We're operating with this principle, and yes. because of that, we're at a loss. Yes. We're we're we're, we're treating everyone the same, which is why we're bleeding cash. Right. Yes. <laughs> because we don't have. We don't operate the same way you do. You as a business person operate on profit yes. and, and margins. Yes. And when and, and you have to treat someone, if you have the money to pay for our service, great. If you don't, I'm sorry. We don't operate that way. We give everyone the same services. Yes. So we need someone to, to that operates on that same wavelength yeah. to invest in this because we're we're at a we're at a loss. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, I'm sorry I have to just add this because it's happened to me recently. I'm always getting Bella Button telling me what's your what's your loss, what's your this, how you what's your income, what's your that and I always and like I for many years I tried to convince people that we're viable, we're sustainable, this and that. Unsustainable. Yeah, no, but now I've embraced our unsustainability. That's what it is. We're trying to bring messianic era. How is that sustainable? I told this guy, I said, one second, I said, your company, I know you're very successful because successful people want to tell you how to run successful operations. Your company's primary goal is, is accruing uh, wealth. And the secondary goal is that people that they, they, they do something good in the world. My primary goal is doing something good. And my secondary goal is having a, 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 a profits and losses that, that line up. And so, therefore, we're killing it in our primary goal. <laughs> okay, our secondary goal, we're not doing it. Like, if you, if I were you and you were me, you're, your company would be a Hamad house and I could be in business. So, so let's all be ourselves. That's the best answer I've ever heard. It's that we're running an unsustainable operation because we are operating on principles that are from the future. Yeah. That's principles from the future. No, that's it. No, yes! that's what we're operating on. Break it! We're, we're operating on, at, 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 you know, at, at, where everyone is equal and we need to invest in everyone the same way. And, and we need to, you know, that's, that's incredible. Like that's it. Wow, join me. Thank you for making us do this, and thank you for all of the that Mashiach office has done. Mamish, Mamish, Kibshutai in the past year. Just, I, I, I really mean it. I'm like so thankful to God Almighty, like literally, that this, that the, that the Kachin Rebbe's and the and the the Mashiach ideology has become so mainstream and spread, and so many shluchim participating, and it's inspiring me to. Have a renewal of interest and, and focus on everything. I really appreciate it. You should have a lot of bracha and slacha for everybody that's participating in this. And thank you for everybody that sat and listened to us talk to a screen for 45 minutes. Okay. And thank you to Joe Teplo. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Rabbi Joe, I, I, I just want to, I want to, Baruch Hashem, um, you've said some incredible ISIS. Really, our home ISIS, the Mashiach Havist adults, is generating ISIS. We want to, we want to try to bridge that. A thing that we all know, we all know Mashiach's coming, we all know we're in Dershvi, we all know we're on the Safagola, we're on the, we all, we all know this. How does it affect our life is the, is, is the challenging step. So, so Baruch Hashem, um, we have the, the Essence program. Um, you can go to thoughts.com forward slash Essence. And over there you have um, an incredible booklet, um, which, which would really, really um, um, get your mind um, into that mode of bringing uh, this element of the Mashiach mindset, which is uh, seeing every Jew in their essence. 
um, bring it into a Palmamish, but I think the Serangan did it better than anything else because you have you, you incredible aces I, from 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 both the, from the two brothers here, amazing amazing aces, um, and uh, yeah, so I encourage everybody, and I just want to end off because um, the Rebbe's birthday, very 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 big birthday, is looming ahead, and the whole um, the whole Jewish world is getting very very excited, 120th birthday. Um, and one of the things in the in, the, in, the, in this uh, in the essence program it's brought out is that by the way when did the Rebbe come out with Mitzvah Yemuladis when did the Rebbe come out with this whole birthday thing right it was the last Mitzvah it was like one of the last Mitzvah it wasn't a film thing it wasn't Tarsan Shpachal Bayosmoy Sfarim Kashros that was Temesayim and then after Chapeshvat after the Rebbe passed away in the very 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 later years where the Rebbe actually um, um, qualified after Rebbe passed away as the third Kufa the last Kufa um, right before. Right before the gula, all of a sudden there has a it's called a mifti lettuce. And you look at it and it's like, what is mifti lettuce? Like, what is the campaign for a birthday? It's literally celebrate your birthday, contemplate it, learn extra neglect, chasidis, write about it. But it make the birthday become such an essential, such a foundational day. And 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 you think about it and you're like, why? <laughs> Nothing happened on your birthday. Maybe your parents just celebrate on your birthday. Maybe your parents are celebrating because that's a very exciting day for them, but nothing happened to you. Maybe your bar mitzvah is a little bit of an accomplishment. You got married, and when you accomplish stuff in this world, that's something to celebrate. Why is it celebrate just being? Why? Because we're, we're, we are the Jews of the future, and Jews of the future, we are essence people. Anyway, so that maybe gives a little bit of insight to the Rebbe's birthday coming up. Yes, right. I know. Your Shvat's a big day because the Rebbe came Rebbe. Uh, you know, came better. These are accomplishment days, but the it off this is just essence. It's just essence. Anyway, so uh um so pick up pick up the booklet, get involved, and thank you so much for the two brothers. You were an amazing inspiration. I uh, I look forward to doing this many times over. Anybody that's in New York City, we're having a bris here. But I, I, I've only had daughters, a lot of them, thank God, but only couldn't, couldn't find, couldn't get a son. And then our first grandchild was a daughter. He finally oh. had a grandson. The first oh, time. Wow. The the corn dynastic uh, <laughs> movement. <laughs> Anyways, the point <laughs> is that, that, um, that there'll be a bris in the baby's healthy and everything. This Shabbos, the bris Shabbos day. Rabbi, you realize that we have thousands of viewers. I know. New York City. Anybody that's in New York City, I'm not inviting because you're not supposed to invite to Bris. I'm announcing a Bris here, Shabbat Day. I'm bringing a THP all day long. All right. L'chaim. L'chaim, L'chaim. Thank you very much.